play. Just Hello. Dang it, Pat. <laughs> I was in my zone. This is going to be the best one. No. I'm going to start over. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Belonging Before Believing, where we answer your questions about the church from the inside. But before we get there, before we hit play, and by play, of course, I mean record. The question was asked, what is the worst thing that you've ever put in your mouth? (laughs) Which leads me... I did not ask that question. I said that the bourbon that we were drinking was a Four Roses bourbon, and it was the worst thing I ever put in my mouth. (laughs) Yes. It was so bad. I don't know how we didn't both spit that out. So... And I ended up drinking the whole bottle. (laughs) It was like trying to drink sandpaper. Oh, it was bad. It was really bad. It was so bad, but I endured because nobody loves a quitter. Or nobody hates a quitter. What is it? Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody likes a quitter. Yeah. Dude, dude, it's the American spirit. I I persevered. Better you than me. But so, so, So my point in that is that, dude, Joel got me for my birthday a bottle of Four Roses. And Joel, sorry, but when you busted this out and you showed me, I was like... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and then we opened it up and had it, and it was so amazing. It was so amazing. And Joel, I love you. Thank you. It was it was an amazing birthday present. We had a bad bottle that first time. We did, dude. It was funk. Yeah. So, <laughs> what's the worst thing you've ever put in your mouth? Reminds me of a story. <laughs> so. Story time. So my dad would drink Slurpees, a, like a ton. Yuck. No, he drinks like. <sighs> well, they're no different than Rebel freezes. Whatever, or yeah, whatever. So, blended Rebels. So when you I, serve it, when I was in like junior your high, shop to junior hires. Right, right. Um, for a nice profit. Um, no. <laughs> so when I was in, not not for me, but for somebody. Uh, so when Keep I was talking. in junior high, high school, my dad would. We'd go by 7-Eleven, we'd grab a Slurpee, whatever. So there was always like a Slurpee around our house. Okay. Um, so I, and I'm constantly like sipping on his, or my mom, like she would always be like smacking my hand because of whatever, like she had to drink. Like I'm always sipping on other people's drinks and it just really pisses people off. Anyway, so. Is that why you're so hearty? Why you don't get sick? Because you've been Maybe. sucking on everybody else's drinks for the years? <laughs> I thought you meant I was like stout because I've been drinking everybody else's sugar. No, because you've been having everybody else's cooties in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. It's like the kid who lays in the gutter and drinks out of the gutter is the healthiest kid in the class. You're talking about my That's daughter you. right now? Uh, I'm talking about you. Okay. <laughs> my daughter did not get sick until she was over 13 months old. And we are the least germaphobic parents on the planet. So true. So I interrupted you. I was very proud of that. I apologize. So I'm in high school, and I see what's left of my dad's Slurpee sitting (laughs) on the counter. 
This is so bad. And I walk up and I look down and I can see. Wait, wait, wait. Nothing good is ever going to come from I see the leftovers of a Slurpee sitting on the counter. You, as a 45-year-old man, are smarter than I was in high school. So I, I look down. And you didn't even smoke pot. Nope. Not once. So I look down. It looks good. There is, you know, maybe like two inches left in the bottom. Oh, it's a little melted, <laughs> but but I can see some of like the chunks of Slurpee floating in there, right? It's not chunks of Slurpee, is it? So I take a sip. Now it's old cigarette. There was <laughs> so there's a bar, <laughs> like a type of like you know breakfast bar or whatever in our kitchen. Um, the sink was probably I'm gonna say like 10, 12 feet away, and when I take a sip. It was like I had drank salt water. <laughs> I take one one step, the biggest step that I can, and then I try to arc, like arc spit the Slurpee. Projectile vomit. No, it wasn't Beyond. vomit. It wasn't. No, it wasn't vomit. I tried to arc spit Nobody the Slurpee. Nobody listening believes that. No, it wasn't. No, come on. People I may are have, listening to this and about to vomit. I may have been 17, but I was kind of a man. So I, I took a step. A man who drinks what's left of his father's Slurpee. So I take one step and I just, just whatever I can get into the sink from there. That's what happened. So it turns out my youngest brother, he's like three years old at this point. And he had taken some hash browns and chucked them in my dad's Slurpee. So instead of my father throwing them away, he just leaves them on the counter and leaves. I remember looking around to my left and to my right to see if my dad was looking when I was going to drink what was left of it. And when I told my dad this story later, like, hey, you know that Slurpee that you left on the counter? And he, he like you, saw the ending far before I needed to explain it to him, and he just dies laughing. All I said, hey, you know that Slurpee you left on the counter? And just loses it. Starts Look, laughing. I love that the punchline is three-year-old Lucas yep. climbed up somehow into the Slurpee and put hash browns in it. Well, that's, oh, my gosh. No, that's why my dad had put it there because, like, uh, somewhere Lucas had done that. And so my dad, instead of throwing it away, he just leaves it there. Why are you assuming he, Lucas couldn't get up there to do it? Because I know the story. Because <laughs> you lived it. Oh, my gosh. So we were getting really you good. You were disgusting. I, that's the grossest thing I ever put in my mouth. That was the question. So we were getting really good for a while there at having good transitions from the beginning of the podcast oh, to the body of the podcast. Um, this is from third gear into reverse. We are back to our old antics. <laughs> yeah, this is not going to be a smooth one. Um, I am happy to say that this is the first question submission that we have ever received via Snapchat. And you know what? It's the closest thing to live that we've gotten. Yeah. We got this like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. We were recording, we were another, recording episode. another episode when this came in. Yep. And we were like, oh no, we're doing this one right now. So shout out to Cody. Thanks. Thanks for the snap. Thanks for the question. We're I don't know answer Cody. It for you you should meet Cody. I'm surprised I haven't met him yet. We'll make that happen. You guys yeah. would get along great. So I, who don't I get? Well, okay, take that back. Yeah. I don't get along with a lot of people great. So the question. Losers. God is the creator. Or maybe I'm the loser. He made the devil. Yes. So he made evil? How is that justified? Okay. 
You can't see, but Pat's hands Rain are raised. Rain it in. Okay. Right? Because it just got serious. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're joking, we're laughing around, but to be perfectly honest, there's nothing funny about this question. Um, I'll, I guess we could joke a little bit about it. Okay. So when we come to an issue like this, and we've talked about the doctrine of evil before, and to be perfectly honest, we already had another doctrine of evil topic kind of chambered, right? We were looking down just very closely down the road to do another episode on the doctrine of evil, which is exactly what this is addressing. Although we're going a step further back from evil in our life, evil that we experience. Um, we're going a step back further to God created the devil, right? I mean, read it again. God is the creator. He made the devil. So he made evil question mark. Right, right. Okay. So what we need to do is we need to go back. The Bible talks um, very little about what actually happened in heaven when God created the angels. And we're going to say he created the angels before he created the world because very quickly in the Garden of Eden, we find the devil already fallen there in the garden, tempting Adam and Eve. And Jesus says in the Gospel of John that the devil has been a liar from the very beginning. So from almost as the very beginning of his existence, he's been a liar. From the very beginning of history, he's been a liar. So when we look at the Bible, we see a couple of passages, one in Ezekiel, one in Isaiah, that seem to indicate that what happened is God had created all of the angels in that creation he made a angel the highest being in heaven, and that that angel wasn't satisfied with his station in heaven, and so he determined that he would, to quote the scripture, ascend to on high, that he would sit on the throne of God, and that when he determined that he wasn't satisfied with his station, he would go up and become God himself, that that's when God cast him down. Um, Jesus says that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven and that Satan took about a third of the angels with him. Now, whatever rebellion happened in heaven, we don't have the details about that. What we do have is that God created angels before he created the rest of the universe. When he did create these angels, they were servants of God. The book of Hebrews says that they are ministering servants sent to those and for those who are to inherit salvation. So for God's people, for the church, for the elect. So these angels were created by God for this purpose and they were created and then given this one singular opportunity for either rebellion or remaining faithful to God and worshiping God. And the choice was theirs. 
Yes, God knew exactly what was going to happen, but like with creation of humans, he knew exactly what was going to happen and yet allowed it to continue because in that is demonstrated his grace and mercy as he saves people from their sins in Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, what's demonstrated in the fall of angels, in the fall of Satan? If God created Satan and he knew he was going to fall, what possible benefit could come from that? Ooh, 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 ooh. So I have an illustration to answer the question. Go. Something that I was realizing I wanted to bring up in a past episode and I didn't get the chance to. So this can really help bring everything together. Um, And you're not going to expect where this episode came from. So it's actually from the Yeezus episode. One thing that I wanted to mention about Kanye West that um, is actually kind of my own opinion that I haven't seen a lot of other people hold that I think is the trick to understanding Kanye is you cannot have heroes without villains. And I think that Kanye has made up his mind a long time ago that you can't have heroes without villains. Somebody has to play the villain. And so he was just going to decide to be the best villain and commit to the character. And that's just who he's going to be. And that everything from, you know, him interrupting Taylor Swift to, um, you know, when he stormed off the stage in Sacramento after like three songs, all of that is him completely just committing to character that he's going to be the villain. Now, you can't have heroes without villains. So why would God allow these things to happen? Um, for his own glory is the answer that I would give. Now, what? Now, how does that bring him glory? He gets to display his justice. There you go, his he, justice. He gets to... Um, display his holiness exactly if by nothing else by contrast yeah um and so when uh everything goes perfectly according to plan could god display his glory sure perhaps yeah um but he's chosen not to but he's chosen not to and uh you can definitely see how good a hero is when you know it's in light of how evil a villain is. So one thing that, that we do here when we see the justice of God displayed in the condemnation of Satan is we see God's justice on display, his holiness on display, exactly what you said. But what we don't see on display is mercy and grace. There's that passage in Peter where Peter, when he's talking about the gospel, what's the gospel? Jesus Christ sought to save sinful humanity. And in saving sinners from their sins, he came down and became a perfect man and lived a perfect life. So that when God the Father punished Jesus Christ for all of the sins that all of the people he would ever save had committed that Christ's perfect life would therefore be applied to the sinner's life who trusted and believed in him. God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's compassion is on display. 
Peter says that angels desire to look into these things because they don't understand it. Because for angels, there was no redemption. There was one time, one incident, Satan arose against God, combated against him somehow, some way. We don't have the details. We don't know what that looked like. But it was such an event that when Satan rebelled against God, God cast him and a third of the angels out of heaven, out of the presence of him, out of glory, and down to the earth and damned them forever. And there's no redemption for angels. I remember at a prayer meeting back when I first was in Bible college, and there was this girl praying, and she was earnest. And, you know, God bless her for her earnestness, but she prayed a prayer that was just flat out wrong. And what it was was she prayed, oh, Lord, even if it were me, Lord, would you please just save Satan? And I had to say in there in that moment, Lord, I don't agree with this prayer. And I said it out loud, and it caused no small controversy <laughs> in, in the Bible college because word quickly spread that I said, said that, and it blew up. But the fact of the matter is, is there is no redemption for angels. So praying for that is actually praying for something that's opposed to the will of God. God chose to create angels. He didn't owe them anything. He, d- he doesn't owe them anything. He doesn't owe them a continued existence. He doesn't owe Satan a continued existence. He owes nobody and no being nothing, absolutely nothing. Even by their continued existence, it's his sheer grace. Their rebellion against God completely and justifiably could have brought their own annihilation. But God chose not to annihilate them but to cast them down. They chose to do what they did. God indeed knew it was going to happen, and he not only allowed it, but ordained that it would happen to display his justice, to display his holiness, to display his righteousness. He allowed humans to fall into sin, and he also displays his holiness, his justice, his righteousness in men's sin but he also now has redemption for men. And in that, he displays aspects of his character that angels know nothing about. Love, grace, passion, mercy, hope, peace, joy, all of these kind of things. Do you think that maybe we should help define holiness? I feel like that even people who are outside the church would know what justice means. Sure. Um, it's not like we're talking about it in a completely different sense, um, but holiness. How, how would you define holiness? Yeah, holy, holy. God is holy, meaning that he is separate, distinct, unique from everything that he's created. When we think about things that are created, we think about lots of... De- everything that's created is dependent upon something else for their existence. We need to breathe, we need to eat, we need to, you know, love, we need these things that we're dependent on for our existence. Everything that is created is dependent upon something else for its existence. When we talk about God's holiness, we're saying that he is a being that's so other, that's so unique, that's so holy, that he is not dependent upon anything else for his existence 
and that he actually defines. And because he's separate from existence, from our existence, he has the ability to define our existence. And so when he defines our existence as giving us boundaries, giving us parameters, here's how you should live. I have created you. Here's what I've created you to be. Here's what I've created you to do. That's his holiness on display. So when Satan fell, he besmirched, he sinned against, he committed a crime against God's holiness because he tried to achieve that otherness that he could never achieve because he was dependent upon God's very upon God for his own very existence. Sure. I, that might be too philosophical. Let me go a step further down and say that the God's holiness is that which makes him God, and therefore he can give us all of these things that he says, this is good, this is right with me. So when we look at God's law, we see that God's law oftentimes kind of rubs against our own sensibilities as a natural people, you know? Mm -hmm. And we see those things and we go, why is this a law? That's weird, that's odd. And some people make fun of it and some people condemn it and some people criticize the Old Testament, you know, for these certain holy things that God brings up. But really what it is, is God is saying, here's my character. If you want to know me, here's what I love. Here's what I see as good. Here's how I define that which is righteous. And he's perfectly right and just to do that because he's the creator of all things. We actually inevitably have to look to him in order to define things like right and wrong, justice and mercy and injustice and those kind of things. So what would you say to somebody who hears all this and then their interpretation of it is, okay, so God created evil basically so that he could flex how awesome he is. Yeah. Couldn't he have saved everybody a lot of heartache and just squashed it in the beginning? Like you said, when Satan and the angels rebelled, he it, it's grace that they even still exist, that he didn't just annihilate them then. Wouldn't that have been a lot easier for the rest of us if he had? Mm, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Because God... So let me let me back up a second. We we just had the Winter Olympics. And when somebody wins a gold medal at the Olympics, we celebrate their achievement. Right? And rightly so. I, there's no some weird people, okay. There's almost nobody who would say it's wrong to celebrate the achievement of the people who work so hard for their whole life to win this gold medal. They're amazing in the field that they're in, right? Sure. We do it every year when somebody wins the Super Bowl, when somebody wins the NBA championship, NHL. You like hockey? I do. The NBA, the World Series, whatever it is, we celebrate those teams. We congratulate them on their achievement. Um, so we have this sense within us that greatness deserves to be congratulated. Recognized. Right? We have that within us. So God is the greatest being. God is the absolute most purest and most glorious being. He deserves to be celebrated. He deserves to be worshipped. He deserves to be engrandized. He deserves all of the things that we should be giving to him. So for him, he didn't 
create sin, but he certainly allowed it and not only knew that it would exist, but ordained that it would exist. But he wasn't the primary cause of it existing. Satan was. He wasn't the primary cause of it existing in the world. Adam was. Adam and Satan brought sin into this world. God is glorified in all of his characteristics being on display. If God had stepped in immediately when Satan had rebelled against him, annihilated him, or when Adam had sinned and annihilated him and restarted with a new humanity, there are certain attributes of God that wouldn't be on display and wouldn't be worshipped. God wouldn't be worshipped in all his fullness. There's nothing wrong with God wanting to be worshipped in all of his fullness, in his mercy as well as his justice, in his holiness as well as his grace. All of God and all of his godliness ought to be worshipped and ought to be praised. And for us as people worshipping God, we need to see him in all of his fullness. And that's a reason why he is allowed for example, the questioner asked about Satan, Satan to fall and Satan to bring evil into this world. Right. Uh, it's not as if God does anything without a plan. Capriciously, whimsically, right? Nothing. Right. And, you know, I, uh, this m- might go over the heads of, of some of our listeners, but that's why, you know, looking at our Bibles through the lens of covenant theology... <laughs> Use some, you know. No, that's good. Some lost words on some people, I'm sure. But to see that there was a plan of redemption from the very, very beginning. Right. Um, Before time began. Right. You know, in Timothy, Paul says that before time began, Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit, the inner Trinitarian, you know, they, they had this covenant that they made whereby they would redeem man before they had even created man. It's a plan, it's a purpose, so that God would receive all of his glory. And there's nothing wrong with that. And this is something that we talked about last night at the guy's study on Monday night, that uh, we can talk a lot about you know, how God does everything for his own glory, and we should. Uh, I think that in a lot of churches, a lot of Christian circles, that they don't talk about that enough. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that in eternity past, God saw an opportunity to show us the greatest measure of his love. And in a huge uh, gesture uh, of love, he rescued us from the state that we find ourselves in. Let me say this. Let me add some depth to what you just said. It is not only a huge gesture of love, but it's also the greatest evil act that has ever been committed by mankind. And killing Jesus, the very Son of God. Man hated Christ. He's the Son of God, and man chose to kill God, to put him to death, to nail him to a piece of wood and raise him up and laugh as he died while spitting on his face and mocking him to his face. The greatest absolute evil act at the very same time was the absolute most loving act that could ever be committed by God towards us as sinners. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, they both, one and the same, point us to 
the very God who deserves our worship and our praise because of his great love that he loved us even while the greatest sin was committed against him. Right. And you know, like I feel so much of the time when we answer these questions, I feel like that's a start. Uh, So if you have follow-up questions to what you just heard, then please, please hit us up. Instagram, um, Twitter, email, belongingbeforebelieving at sovereignjoycf.org. Follow up questions, whatever. Uh, I understand that we probably said some things that might not be easy to understand on the first listen, um, and we would be more than happy to go over those things and And have a discussion with you. Go back and re-listen and ask us questions. Yeah, that would be great. Um, Because we really, really do this because we want you to understand these things. Um, But when it's Pat and I in my bedroom talking to each other, we don't always know what you're thinking. So please reach out. We really want you to grasp and understand these things because the the reality is we're trying to wrestle with some pretty deep stuff, especially if you're somebody who finds yourself on the outside of the church who hasn't really wrestled with these things in the past. So please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And we love you. We believe you belong.